So good morning, everyone. How's everyone's weeks been? Good, bad, ugly, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's February now. It's not the brightest, cheeriest month, is it? No, no. Anyone desperate to see the sun? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I'm sure it will come. Anyone hoping for snow? No? no? What is wrong with you people? All right, fine. My kids are hoping for snow. Welcome to the next one in our series, in this stretch series. You guys will have been following a lot of you, our stretch series, as we look at this amazing verse from Isaiah 54, challenging us to stretch ourselves, to push the limits a bit, to think about what could we be, what could we do if we did stretch, if we pulled the curtains out a bit further, if we just extended what we could do. What if we reach the max of who we could be as people, of how we do this community stuff, how we do this prayer stuff, how we do giving, devotions, worship, all of these things? What what could we see? What could God do if we just stretched it that little bit further? We're excited about doing that as a church. And as we step forward into this next season, we're pushing into what God is calling us to. And so this is a really significant series for us as we look at that. And this morning, uh, as you've heard already, we are looking at the theme of compassionate caring. How do we stretch ourselves in how we care for other people? How do we stretch our compassion just that little bit further? And there's kind of a given here, isn't it? You know, I'm a psychologist. I work in quite a caring field. I run an organisation that's all about encouraging the church to engage with mental health stuff. So it's kind of a given, isn't it, that as Christians, as church, we are sort of supposed to be quite caring. Who, who, some of you are looking like, well, I don't know, I've never heard that. But, but that is kind of a given, isn't it? And we know above everything else that the God we worship is compassionate. Compassion is one of the key features of God's character in the Bible, both when he's described in the Psalms, but also when he describes himself. There's this verse from 2 Corinthians which says that God is the father of all compassion. He's the source of it all. There's something so significant about who God is that is about compassion, that is about caring. And we know as well that as followers of Jesus, as people knowing this God, loving this God, we are called to be caring too. So Romans 12, that amazing chapter of sort of life advice, how to do this life thing, says that we should be good friends who love deeply, not just like eh, kind of a bit, but we really love deeply that we look after each other, that we care greatly for one another. So it's an interesting topic then to think, how do we stretch? How do we push the limits on this? How do we do it that little bit more? And I want to suggest to you that as you come to this topic, there's actually two potential issues, two potential things that you might struggle with as you're sat here listening to this. I don't know, you might, this might, none of these might be you, but maybe they will be. And the first one is something about how we can rule ourselves out of being caring. So I don't know about some of you, but sometimes I think caring is something we kind of think is something other people do. Perhaps doctors or counsellors or nurse people, people drawn to caring professions. Some of you are those people. But some of you sort of think, well, that's not so much what I do. It's just not really my thing. I'm not a carer. I'm not in a caring profession. I'm not drawn to this. I don't spot things. 
You ever had one of those conversations where you're sat, you've been together with someone and then at the end of the evening, somebody else who was there says, oh, well, so-and-so, they, you know, they're really struggling with something. And you're like, huh, what? I didn't notice that at all. So that no, none of you are going to admit to that being you. I know. But sometimes we think that caring is something other people do and we can rule ourselves out. Maybe you think within church, who does the caring? Well, that's a sort of a pastoral team thing. That's the thing. Those people who are trained to pray with people, they, they do that. You see someone who's upset, who's struggling with something, and you're looking around for someone else to deal with it. Maybe you're thinking that's for other people. Maybe you think it's a leader. You're looking around for a leader, like because we need someone to come and do some caring here. It's easy, isn't it, for us to count ourselves out of something because it doesn't feel like who we are, what we do. Maybe it's not us. So that's the first thing. And, and I want to nudge you, if that's you, to say that it is you because the Bible doesn't say, like, some of you should do this, some of you be compassionate. It's something we're all called to do. The second thing that's interesting about caring, though, is something about our limits. What's the limit of your sort of personal capacity to do this? It's kind of like, how much do you care? And some of you are like, yeah, not that much. (laughs) It's interesting because I say I'm a psychologist, I was a medic first. And you might think I'm like the most instinctively caring person in the world, but I'm often quite like, "Eh," you know, I'm not instinctively the most emotional person in the world. I care a lot, but it's easy for us to think, well, actually, my limit is kind of down here. This is all I can do. It's not really my thing. Some of you, it's more the other extreme of that. So you actually care a huge amount. You're very emotional. This is something that really matters to you, but you've reached your limit. Maybe life has thrown uh, some things at you where you've had to do a lot of caring recently, and we do have limits So if you've got small children, if you've got other relatives, people who are depending on you, I've been in that life phase recently where I've got elderly elderly parents and relatively small children. I don't think they're that small, but one of them at least seems to be smaller than I think he should be. Anyway, (laughs) that's not in stature, just so you know. Um, (laughs) But it's hard, isn't it? If you're doing a lot of caring, we do have limits to how much we can do. And sometimes our issue when we see something is actually you just think, I'm just worn out, I'm done, I've kind of reached my limit. And and I think we do have to recognise that there are limits to our caring. You don't have a limitless capacity to do this. One of the things that's most interesting about Jesus, this amazing example of God in the human brain and body that he designed, is how Jesus actually did have limits. He shows the limitations of his humanness in the way that he reacts. So look at this verse from Luke 5, saying that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed, but Jesus often withdrew. He habitually and repeatedly took time out to be on his own, to pray, to do things like rest, sleep. He told the disciples off for not eating because they were busy with just the sheer number of people coming to see him. He didn't heal everybody. I might have thought he was only on the earth a short period of time. If that had been me, I might have thought, well, let's just blow it out. Let's just heal everybody. And, you know, I could sleep later in heaven. But he actually didn't do that. And we have to recognise, therefore, our limits as humans, that we don't have a totally limitless capacity to care. Some of you, as you sit here listening to this, your honest reaction is, oh, please, I'm just going to feel guilty at the end of this and I can't, I can't do it. And that's, 
that's because you're already near your limit. That's not something to feel guilty about. And I think that there's some people here who actually God wants to bless you this morning and say, do you know what? You are doing an amazing job at this already. Don't feel bad that you have a limit. So how do we do this then? How do we stretch our caring whilst bearing in mind that we are humans, that we do have limits? Because the the Bible actually shows that there's something very important at the root of how we do this, which is about balance. Look at this uh, passage from Mark 12. Remember, the guy comes to Jesus and he says, what's the most important commandment? Remember that story? Some of you remember it, yeah? And... um, Jesus shares with him the most important commandments, and one of them is this one, love your neighbor as yourself. So as we go into this topic, we've got to remember at the root is a really important balance. It doesn't say love your neighbor, forget about yourself, exhaust yourself, tie yourself out completely, but all the focus is on them. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Balance. And we have to remember that. So how do we do it? How do we stretch the limit without forgetting that really important truth? And I want to talk to you this morning about two concepts that are really interesting in this topic as we think about it. And the first one is that of empathy. Who's heard of empathy? Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of empathy? I looked up a dictionary definition. It says, empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Empathy is a key skill in human relationships. It's one of those things that little kids have to learn that, you know, when they punch someone and they cry, you know, that means they might not want to play with them the next day. It's a key thing that we have to learn. The ability to understand the world from someone else's perspective, to put ourselves in their shoes, to understand what they're feeling, what they're thinking, that's an important element of sort of human maturity, isn't it? And um, getting relationships right. Being able to do this well is what enables us to share our space and our lives really effectively with other people. Now, it's interesting, therefore, to look in the Bible and think, well, where does empathy come up? Because it's obviously a key thing. It's part of the heart of what humans are. And empathy isn't specifically mentioned by name in the Bible, but you'll see some passages which clearly are sort of talking about it, like this one from Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Part of our calling is to understand what's going on for other people and share it. So there's a sense there that empathy is important. Look at this verse from 1 John 3, saying that if you have material possessions and you see someone else in need but have no pity, how can the love of God be in you? The the word there that's translated as having no pity literally means if you stifle that inner sort of emotional empathetic response that comes from deep within you, if you stifle it, something's something's not right. How can you have the love of God in you if you stifle that? So we are called to have empathy for our fellow humans, for our friends, our family, for people we don't even know. It's a key part of who we are. But there's something really interesting I want to tell you a little bit. It's like, here's the science bit. Anyone ready for a quick science bit about how empathy works? Because we've discovered some, well, not we, I don't mean like me personally, like clever people have discovered some really interesting things about empathy really in the last five to 10 years, which is about these things. This, for those of you who are wondering, is a mirror neuron. See, I tell you, it's a science lesson. It's good, isn't it? It's like biology. 
And a mirror neuron is one of the cells in your head. And what, what they do, they have this amazing function. Um, and it was discovered when they were doing some tests, they were doing brain scans on um, little chimps while they performed certain actions. So like while they were eating a banana, they were scanning their brains to try and work out what activation it was that was linked with the behaviours, that sort of thing. And they made this amazing discovery because one of the little chimps, they'd not taken the like, scanning stuff off. And he was watching one of his mates doing the, the task, eating the banana or whatever it was, and he was still wearing the sort of headset. And what they realised was that his brain was still firing as though he was doing it himself while he was just watching someone else doing it. And that's where the discovery of mirror neurons came from, that we have these cells in our brains that when we watch someone else experiencing something, they fire almost as though we were actually doing it ourselves. It's amazing. So you know when you watch Wimbledon and you like suddenly seize with a desire to get out and like play some tennis, like you really would be, that's mirror neurons because you're watching it and somewhere in your head they're firing off like it's you doing all of that amazing stuff. What's really interesting, though, is the role that they then have in empathy because there's good evidence that mirror neurons are really significantly implicated in empathy. So when you are watching someone who's having an emotional reaction to something, what empathy is is actually your mirror neurons firing almost as though you were experiencing that same emotional struggle yourself. So to a degree, empathy is about actually experiencing an emotional reaction yourself that mirrors that of the person who you're talking to, caring to, reaching out to. And there's loads of stuff about that that's interesting. I could talk about this for days, but I'm not going to. The most interesting thing, I think, is, is that there's a real sort of variability in how strongly that happens so some people, some of you will know this is you, are, they, they have an incredibly strong mirror neuron empathy response. So when they watch someone who's going through some emotional pain, they, they almost literally are feeling it as though it was them. It's that powerful. You hear people say things like, I just can't bear to see someone who's upset. I just can't bear it. You see, you know some of you are these people. You know someone, someone's in tears, you're going to be in tears too. It's just natural. You hold people's pain like it was your own. It's part of who you are. It always has been. And then at the other end of the continuum, there's some people who actually it's much of a less instinctive response. So it's not that you don't care, but you don't experience it that in that really emotional pain sort of way. Your mirror neurons don't fire quite as strongly. It's a really interesting variability. It's like a personality factor, I guess, of how instinctively you have this literally emotional response within you when you're caring for someone else, this empathetic response. What's really interesting about it is that those people with the really strong response, because they're experiencing so much emotional pain themselves, we know those people are drawn to caring professions, they're drawn to be carers, counsellors, doctors, nurses, all of those sorts of things, but we also know they're at much higher risk of burnout and exhaustion, because you are literally carrying the emotional pain of the people you're caring for. And that's, that's really hard work. So it tells us quite a lot about you, this, this response. And, and it's interesting how empathy is linked with that, because in some ways you could almost say, therefore, the more empathetic you are, the more that could be a problem for you, not for the people you care for, but for you. 
And guys, I would challenge you that one of the things we have to think about in stretching our caring is the, the longevity of that response. It does nobody any good if you're really caring today, tomorrow, next week, next month. But in, in two years' time, you've totally burnt out, you're exhausted, you can't care for anyone. Those of you who are, for whom this is really part of your DNA to do caring, those of you who are in caring professions, we have to work out how we can do this for the long term, how we can do it without it exhausting us. So empathy, there's one really interesting concept that I wanted to, to sort of bounce around today. But there's another one, of course, that is mentioned loads in the Bible that we are called to that I want to focus on now. And that, of course, is compassion. Very, very clearly, if you look in the Bible, if you do a search on the word compassion, you will see loads of hits. We are called to be kind and compassionate to one another. That's Ephesians 4. 1 Peter 3. All of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. This is something we are clearly, clearly, clearly called to. We're told to do it. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. We're called to do it, but it should be something that's so significant about who we are that it's one of the first things people see when they see us. We should be clothed with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So... What is compassion then? Is, is it empathy? Is that the same thing? And it's just that we use a different word. And, and actually, I want to share with you that compassion isn't the same thing. And I know some of you think, well, you're just splitting hairs now. You're just talking like what word means what. But there's a, a whole field that's sprung up in, um, in sort of psychology looking at what we call compassion training because we have discovered, discovered this thing that actually the Bible told us thousands of years ago that was really important, that there's something about compassion that is particularly powerful. So I want to tell you about what compassion is defined as and how it differs, therefore, from empathy. So there's two elements of compassion that are really important. And the first one is you'll see is very familiar because it is the same thing that is at the essence of empathy. It's that physical, emotional response to whatever someone else is going through. So this is, you know, when you get a knot in your stomach, um, and the words in the Bible that are translated in our language as compassion, there's two words that are translated in that way in the New Testament. They're both derived from words that literally refer to your gut, to your visceral organs. So when we say that you are moved by something, we're like, no, no, you're literally moved in your gut. You know, we talk about things that are gut-wrenching. I'm gutted about this. That's at the essence of both empathy and compassion. Because when we see what someone else is going through, we have a, an emotional, a real, genuine reaction to it ourselves that, that isn't superficial. It comes from the centre of who we are because we really care. So compassion isn't about being cold and heartless. It's still about how much we love, how much we care for other people. But there's a second element of compassion that's really important, and that is about taking action. It's about what do you then do as a result to alleviate that suffering, to alleviate that emotional response? How do you act as a result of what you see? So compassion is about the first one. Yeah, you can move on to that slide, Gary. It's about this first thing of being moved, but there's a, an equal balance on what you do, therefore, as a result. 
And if you look at the biblical definitions of compassion, you'll see this really clearly, the link with being moved, but also with doing something. So Matthew 14, 14 talks about Jesus with compassion. It says that he saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So his compassion is that he's moved, he empathizes with them, but he's also doing something as a result. If you look at Matthew 20, again, Jesus had compassion on the people, and he, this time saying he touched their eyes, immediately they received their sight and followed him. There's loads of these, Mark 6, again, Jesus seeing a large crowd, he's, he has compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he teaches them. So the the variety of different responses, different actions is is big. But there's always a link in compassion to doing something as a result of your emotional response to a situation. God too, when we read passages that talk about how compassion is the centre of God's nature, you also see this pattern. So uh, this is just one, Exodus 22, when they cry out to me, I will hear because I'm compassionate. So God's compassion moves him to hear us when we call out to him. So I think that's a very key message that I want you to pick up today. It's like a take home if you're sitting later saying, well, what was Kate rambling on about this morning? This is the one thing I want you to ponder over your lunch, over your afternoon, is that compassion changes how we act, not just how we feel. And this is what people need from us. It's nice and believe me, it's important when you're struggling to know that someone understands what you feel, that you're heard by them, that they appreciate what you're going through. But there's another push for us here as we stretch our caring, which is about how do we act? What do we do? And what's interesting when you think about that brain stuff is how as we grow our compassion alongside our empathy, how that changes our own brain response. So both of them, when you are seeing someone struggling with something, both empathy and compassion light up the part of your brain that's associated with understanding the emotion of someone else. Empathy in particular also lights up the bit of your brain that is linked with you experiencing an emotion yourself, whereas compassion links up the bit that's linked with nurturing and caring behaviours. Does that make sense? So they're different, but also what's really interesting is as you get better and better at channeling your empathy into compassion, the part of your brain that's involved with your personal experience of emotion lights up less. So as well as compassion being really good for the people you're caring for, it also actually helps you be more effective long-term as someone who is caring because it increases your capacity to do that really well. So the more compassionate we are, the better we become at caring for other people. The more our ability to stretch our caring is extended the more we can push the normal human limits of that stuff, the more we can look at how that changes our society, our community, our world. And and this is such a huge difference that in the fields of psychology, medicine, all of those sort of caring professions, compassion training is becoming a huge deal now. And people are getting sent on compassion training courses where they have to sit there and try and try really hard to feel compassionate for someone. Because we know that if we do that, it makes them so much more effective. So compassion is a long-term strategy to stretch our caring. And it's no surprise at all, therefore, that that's what the Bible calls us to. That's what we're encouraged to be, is compassionate people. So I want to share with you 
we sort of draw to a close and we have some more time with the band and just to ponder this a bit more, I want to share with you five things, therefore, that, that I think we should think about in terms of how we stretch our compassion, how we stretch our caring. So the first one is something about practising. Because some of you are much more instinctively carey sort of people than others. Some of you actually find this really hard. Some of us grew up in families where this was the, the norm that was modelled to care for each other, to share, to discuss things. Some of us grew up in families or circumstances that taught us to, that, to, to get on with things on our own and share very little. So we have a different starting point, all of us on this, in terms of how easy we find this. But the good news is, is that you can learn and you can intentionally grow your compassion. Once you stop thinking of caring as just a sort of instinctive response that some people have and some people don't, it makes you realise that you can deliberately grow this. So when you see someone who's struggling, instead of looking for someone else, you can actually stop and think, hang on, what can I do here? How can I change this? I can't change the situation. Several of us here are, what we really want to do is to change the entire situation someone is struggling with, and we can't do that, so we just walk away. But what compassion teaches us is to say, well, hang on, what could I do? What could I do? And the more we think about that deliberately and push ourselves and think, I want to grow in this, and the more that we pray and say to God, grow this in me, make me a more compassionate person, help me see how I can change the world of the people around me for the better, the more you'll see a development in this, the better you'll get at it. So number one is about practicing. Be really deliberate about this. Remember, compassion training changes the way that you care, so you can train yourself. Number two, therefore, is about action. Don't just stand there. Caring for someone is about so much more than just an emotional reaction, and an emotional reaction is good. We connect with the people we care for, but it's about more. So next time you see someone post on Facebook that they're having a rubbish day, don't just stick up a little hug emoji that's not what they need. Do something. Think, what can I do? How can I alleviate this suffering? How can I make sure they know that they're not alone? How can I communicate with them so, and tell them that I really love them, that I care for what they're going through? Are there practical things you can do? Stuff that's beyond empathy. Could you, I don't know, make someone a meal? Offer to look after their kids so they can have a break? Could you do some washing for them? Could you take them out for a coffee or down the pub for a bit? Anything, what could you do? Practice that. Think, how could I act to help and support this person? And remember, because I know some of us are natural problem solvers, we think, well, action, I must do something, which, by the way, is quite annoying sometimes if you're sharing something that you're really upset about and someone's like, well, have you tried this? And you're like, oh, thanks a lot. I didn't think of that. So it isn't always an action to try and solve their problem. It's an action that's about supporting them, that's about alleviating suffering in them, that's helping them know they're not alone. So your action might be just sitting with someone, letting them talk. It might be saying nothing. It might literally just be sitting with someone. It could be a text that you send to say, I'm thinking of you. It could be praying for them. The Bible says that compassion moves us to pray for people. But send them a text, let them know you're doing it. Let's step out of our own comfort zones that say, oh, I don't want to send them a text in case they didn't really want to hear from me. I don't want to send them that passage that I really thought God was saying that I should pray over them because it's just embarrassing. And what if it's totally wrong and they just laugh at me? Let's get over that. Let's take some actions to support 
the people who we're caring for. And let's do it deliberately, intentionally, and let's practice it so that we get better and better at doing it. The Bible encourages us to do this. 1 John 3, 18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. It's lovely when someone says they're your friend, that they love you, that they care for you. But when they do absolutely nothing, when you're going through something difficult, it's a lot harder to feel that, isn't it? And you kind of know in theory that they care, but it would mean an awful lot more if they came round or if they dropped off some flowers or if they just sent you a text saying, hey, how you're doing? I heard you're having a rough time. So let's do that stuff. This is why our action verse, which you'll see on your cards today, is about action. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them because that's what compassion is about. So number three in my five is about why. It's about what's your motive for why you do this. Because we often become unstuck or exhausted or struggling with our caring and compassion when we're doing it actually to meet our own needs rather than the needs of the other person. And, and that's, that's a complex topic, and I'm not going to get into it in too much detail. But if you know that the reason you care for other people is because you need to be needed, then that's something to look into to get some support with to pray through. Because the risk then is, is that your caring is driven by something that's a less healthy drive, unlike compassion. So be careful about your why. Why are you driven to do this? This is particularly for those who are very instinctive carers who really struggle with the, just the force of how they feel about other people when they're going through stuff. So that's a third one. And it runs really into number four, which is about this balance. Don't forget yourself. Do you know, in um, compassion training, when they do it, um, there's sort of three stages. And the first stage is to try and train you to have compassion for someone you really like or love. So they teach you to imagine, visualize a really good friend or someone in your family. And then you have to visualize them going through suffering. And it's, you know, so the first stage is someone you actually quite like. Um, the third stage is trying to develop compassion for people you don't know or maybe even don't like because that's obviously really hard. The second one, and this is often the one people find hardest, interestingly, is developing compassion for yourself. And actually, what we're finding out is that a lot of people find that really, really hard. So don't forget yourself. How do you care for yourself? The Bible doesn't say we should focus entirely on other people and at the expense of ourselves. Some of you, if you're struggling because you feel like you've reached your limits, it's because you've forgotten to be compassionate and caring for yourself. Some of you, that's the biggest stretch that you need to make today, to be honest. You're doing an amazing job in caring for other people, but you're not so great at this. What's the action you could take this week to be compassionate to yourself? Is it about actually letting yourself stop? It doesn't matter if you haven't washed that last dish. The most important thing is that you do get a nice cup of tea before you have to go off and do the next job. Is it about letting yourself off something, taking some of the pressure off yourself? Is it about building important things into your calendar for you? Rest, good time with friends, all of that stuff. Some of you, that's the most important stretch that you need to make today. So five, the last tip. And this is kind of an overarching one that I want. Hopefully this is a message you've got from the whole thing. This is a quote from a, a Mumford & Sons song. I really like Mumford & Sons. According to my daughter, they're totally not cool. Uh, and it would be absolutely outrageous to make her listen to them on a car journey. No, she can't hear me good. She's just down the corridor, just checking. 
But I love this quote. It says, and this is what we should do. It says, we should love with urgency, but not with haste. And the message of compassion and the message of the Bible about caring is that it is so much more than just instinct. Caring isn't an impulsive, compulsive thing that we do. It is a decision. It's a choice. We must do it with urgency because it's incredibly important and because the potential is so huge to the difference we could make to our world if we really get this right. But we shouldn't do it with haste. We shouldn't just do it just the way it feels instinctively because that isn't always the best way to care. One of the things you learn caring for a lot of people in a church context is that sometimes the thing you instinctively want to do is not actually the best way to help someone. So we should think about our caring. We should pray about it. We should learn about it. We should practice it. The most instinctive carers amongst us might not actually always be the best people to do it. Those of you who have written yourself out of this because you think, well, I'm not that super emotional person. Actually, maybe you're the ones who it's really important that you do stretch and grow the way that you do caring. So let's stretch our caring. Let's push the limits on how we do it. Let's see what difference it makes to our own relationships, to the people we care about, to ourselves, but more importantly than anything to the people around us, the people we share life with, and the people out there who we've never met, never spoken to yet, don't know anything about their circumstances. Because our God is incredibly compassionate, and that's something that he wants to light in us. Why don't don't we stand, take a moment to pray about this, and the band can come back up. So Father God, we praise you that you are the God, the Father of all compassion. But Lord God, we don't want to take a simplistic perspective on what that means this morning. We want to understand the depth and the potential of what you call us to as compassionate people. So Father God, we just pray right now that your spirit would rest upon this church. Speak to our souls, Lord God. I pray that there are people in this place who you are going to call today to step up in their compassion. People who might be surprised by that because they wouldn't have thought of themselves as that sort of person, but I pray you would inspire us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.